there's a giant cow and the cow eats good new music and then a bunch of stuff happens in the middle and then it poops money. It's not totally clear what's happening inside the cow, but as long as you keep feeding it and money keeps coming out, like it's, it seems to be working. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Ben Orenstein, who is the co-founder of Tuple, a tool for remote pair programmers that has been steadily growing for the past few years. Now, Ben runs Tuple with a small team and is delving into what happens when your SaaS starts to hit scale. You might have also heard Ben's voice on the Art of Product podcast, which he co-hosts with Derek Reimer, founder of Savvy Cow, talking about the behind the scenes of running their respective SaaS companies. As Ben has grown Tuple to millions of sessions, he's needed to keep track of users on the marketing site, which is why he uses Fathom, who are kindly sponsoring this episode of Indie Bytes. Fathom is privacy-first website analytics made simple and now couldn't be a better time to switch. On the 13th of January, Google Analytics was ruled illegal in Austria and it's likely that the rest of the EU will follow. Fathom has launched a feature called EU Isolation, keeping them fully compliant with GDPR, making it the perfect alternative. I've been using Fathom across all my projects for a few years now and love seeing a bird's eye view of how each site is performing for no extra cost. I feel even better that I'm not doing it at the expense of my user's privacy. If you want to give Fathom a go, head to usefathom.com slash bytes or hit the link in the show notes to get $10 off your first month. There's also an extended 35-minute chat with Ben available on the Indie Bytes membership, which is still just £4 a month. Go to bytes.fm slash membership or there's a link in the show notes. Let's get into this episode. Ben, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Ben, before we dive into Tuple, I want to take a trip down memory lane because you've been around a while doing this stuff. Your articles go back to 2007. Are there any certain projects you look back on fondly? Yeah, I started a little journaling app called Trailmix that is uh, kind of special. Uh, Trailmix.life if you're interested in checking that out. Also, I worked at ThoughtBot for seven years, I think it was. And was a consultant at first, but then did a whole bunch of conference speaking and eventually started an education, like a Rails education business inside the company called Upcase. And that was like very formative and interesting. And ThoughtBot was super great to me all the time I was there. So I, I look back on, on that time very fondly for sure. And also when I was researching some of your articles back in 2007, I noticed you did a course called Vim for Rails Developers. That In the article, you said you sold 148 copies for $9 each. Would future Ben be annoyed at you for pricing that at $9? Maybe. But back then, honestly, the money was not the thing that was interesting about it. It was just like, oh my God, I got a stranger on the internet to pay me money <laughs> for something. And this money came while I was doing something else. And it was the first time in my life I had disconnected the work I was doing from the money I was getting. And I really actually think that launching that screencast and even selling it for cheap really changed my mindset and my goals and, and what I wanted to do professionally. Because it just opened my eyes to like, oh my God, I was eating dinner and we, I made $18 in screencasts. I just paid for the dinner and I didn't have to do anything additional. And it was like, okay, this is clearly the, the, like, the kind of life I want to have. Well, that sounds like an important inflection point in your life. I know me and a lot of other indie hackers have gone through a very similar thing. Now, it's great to see your success with Tuple. Congrats on that growth. Do you share numbers at the moment or is it kind of... We've gotten increasingly vague with time. We say we're doing millions of revenue. We have tens of thousands of paid users. Uh-huh. Is that pretty cool to look back on? Is this your most successful thing? Oh, yeah, by, by a ton. Yeah. Every so often, I'll recheck the stats, and like some, like we've had people do millions of sessions on Tuple, like millions of pairing sessions, and that just that feels absurd to have made a thing that's being used that many times is uh, kind of incredible. 
do you think you've done anything differently with Tuple compared to the, the other projects you started before? Tuple was the most ambitious, for sure. The other things I've started were always much, much smaller in ambition and scale and whatnot. And that made sense because they were, those were very much sort of side hustles. The guy would take a week off and, and launch a SaaS and build it real fast and launch it and try to... And those were like actually really great training events, basically. I'm really glad I spent a lot of time building SaaS apps inside ThoughtBot, building them on the side, getting my feet wet, understanding how these things work, learning tactics and strategies because all that they paid off uh, quite a bit when we started Tuple. I feel like I had a pretty pretty decent playbook already of things that I, I knew to do. Ben, you've covered in length on the Indie Hackers podcast and your own show how you've grown Tuple over the years. So I'm not going to go into that with you today, but I will leave a link in the show notes to an episode where you have discussed this. But I am interested in one aspect of your growth, which I've not really talked about much on this show, and that's enterprise sales. Can you talk me through a little bit about what enterprise sales is for Tuple and how your approach has changed to it over time? In the early days of doing sales with large companies, I resisted it pretty strongly. So I'm a developer and I've always been a bit of an efficiency junkie. And there's nothing efficient about enterprise sales because we have a self-serve signup. And so at any point, they could just go put a credit card in and use the product and speak to no one. And instead, there's this long, seemingly wasteful process that they need us more or less to go through to help them purchase the thing. Like in the very beginning, we just said no straight out. We would just refuse. Like we're not going to do any custom contracts. We're not going to... We don't care what your legal department thinks of our terms... In the early days, I think that made a lot of sense because we were super product focused and what mattered was making something that people actually thought was good. Eventually, the companies coming to us were so interesting. They're really big or they're really mm. cool. They're like, Stripe wants to use Tuple, but we have to do some things before they'll try it. Okay, we have to do that. We can't not try to get Stripe as a customer. So eventually we changed our tune and started relenting and going through <laughs> the enterprise sales process. I learned some things about how to negotiate and what you can say no to, and then... I would say that we're in our sort of like our later phases have been, we know what the standard moves are. We're okay with some things. We're not okay with other things. We hold our ground sometimes. We relent other times. Mm -hmm. And also I got out of the sales process, which was probably the best improvement we've made yet because I am just constitutionally ill-suited for sales. I'm pretty good at talking about the product and connecting with people, but the rest of it I'm just not a fan of. And so I, I always did a not that great job of it. My heart was not in it. And now we have hired somebody. We have a head of sales who loves running the sales process at Tuple mm-hmm. and is great at it. And that was definitely the, the best improvement along the, of all of them. How much of your revenue at the moment comes from enterprise or, or bigger companies? Specifically having custom contracts that we have mm-hmm. negotiated is probably about 25% somewhere in there. But oh, wow. a lot of our revenue comes from larger companies because companies sign up and then their team, their usage expands yeah. over time. And yeah. How are you differentiating the product for those larger companies? It's pretty much the same product, two people as 2,000, which I wouldn't say is like a grand strategy that's everyone should copy. It's actually something that we'd like to, to change over time a bit is to have an enterprise offering at a higher price point that is compelling because it offers the things that larger companies care about that, that smaller ones don't. But today, there's not much difference between the offerings. Do you have any sort of tips from your experience dealing with enterprise customers for indie hackers or smaller people that have not dealt with it and how they can deal with that process and make it easier for them? It's a million little pieces of advice. I've started like jotting down 
the, like sketching an outline of an epic talk or blog post or book or something around this topic because it, it is complicated, I would say. I don't know that there's a pithy podcast summary of it, really. I accept that the thing I touched on earlier, I would say, is maybe the, the, the best single piece of advice is that realize you can say no to a lot of things. The, there is a default process that they will try to push you through. It will have an annoying amount of requirements of things that you need to do. I have gotten deals done while saying no to a lot of different things, like discounts, background checks, monthly billing, security audits. Be aware that even though you are a little company, if you've made a product that the company wants to purchase, you often have some negotiating leverage. And it depends a lot on who wants to buy the product. Like we sell to engineers within tech companies. Engineering typically has a lot of social capital. And so procurement doesn't want to block the deal and get have engineering be mm. mad at them. So we can push back on procurement often. Legal often has the ultimate decision. And so if the lawyers don't like what's in your agreement, you often can't get by that without some back and forth and negotiation. I would just say that the unfortunate reality is that it is a complex process to, to sell mm -hmm. to a very large organization. I don't think there is like a quick shortcut for getting good at it or getting through it, but you can do it. It's maybe not so bad as you might assume from the outside. It's maybe a bit more flexible than you would assume. And it's often worth it because the, the price can be so much higher. The, the sensitivity to cost is, is so much lower. $100,000 a year is not a lot of money when dealing with larger companies. Mm -hmm. Talk me through a little bit of your approach to marketing and how you get all these inbound leads, both your sales and just self sign up users. Embarrassingly, I don't really know. Uh, there's this independent music creator named Jonathan Colton, and he talks about his model for success in the music industry. He thinks of, of it as there's a giant cow and the cow eats good new music and then a bunch of stuff happens in the middle and then it poops money. And... <laughs> It's not totally clear what's happening inside the cow, but as long as you keep feeding it and money keeps coming out, like it's it seems to be working. It is cool with that. And I have roughly the same approach currently, at least about Tuple and our marketing strategy and where customers are coming from and all that. And it's that we, we keep growing. I do this mishmash of things. I go on podcasts. I host my own podcast. I tweet about things. We write articles. We are giving away Tuple to open source organizations now. We do random publicity stunts. Like it's sort of a, this mishmash. It's not a very coherent strategy. And we don't also don't track like what's going on inside the cow. We don't ask people where they've heard of us. We don't systematically analyze where everything's coming from. But the numbers keep going up uh, at a rate that we're pleased with. And so we, we just keep doing it. What does your day-to-day -day look like now as a CEO of this growing organization? You're up to eight or nine people now with Tuple? Yeah, we're eight people. What does my day-to-day -day look like? I, I feel like my mindset has changed a bit. I am doing more and more delegation and editing. I'm starting to think more of myself as editor-in-chief at Tuple. I am involved at the highest and sometimes the lowest levels. So basically, I'm thinking at the highest level, what do we want to do next year? What is the priority right now? Where should we focus over the next couple months? And making sure that is set out loud and stated and that we're all pointed in the same direction. And then also, I am cutting single sentences from emails and <laughs> suggesting word choices or let's tweak this diagram and the help docs to be slightly different. Do you feel like you just have a job? Like you, you show up to do a job now or does it still come with a lot of the freedoms you set out to, to get with Tuple? There's tons of freedoms. So we're a distributed company. We work more or less asynchronously, often quite independently. And so I feel like I have a ton of flexibility, even during the day. And, and that was something we extremely intentionally set out to, to have. So that wasn't, wasn't an accident. 
All right, so we'll round off talking about Tuple and move on to Art of Product, which is your podcast. And it's how I discovered you, Ben. I've been listening for a few years. For a very long time, it was the only podcast I'd have on rotation every week. You've done 190 episodes. You started it in June 2017, right after you quit ThoughtBot. Is that like a tangible benefit or impact that you found from the podcast on your business? Or is it just something you really enjoy doing? It's another one of those marketing things that I haven't teased out very in, in any detail, really. Yeah. But I very frequently hear from people, I've been following the Tuple journey for a long time, and now I finally get to try it when they sign up. I, I do think the podcast builds a lot of affinity. Like It's a fun story mm-hmm. to follow. And there's something about audio and hearing people's voices that I think helps you connect with them a bit better than other formats. Especially in the early days, a lot of our first customers came from the podcast audience and my mm-hmm. personal network. So it was, I think it was very directly helpful then, most easily attributable. Do you do uh, any prep for it beforehand? Five minutes. Maybe I'll jot some notes down about what my rough updates are. I'll look back on my calendar, look mm-hmm. back over my completed to-dos and mine those for, for things, but it's pretty minimal. As both Tuple and Savvy Cow were both getting a good amount of traction and growth, are you still going to carry on with the pod? Yeah, I definitely will. I, I can't really imagine hitting a growth milestone that would make me want to stop the podcast because the podcast is only kind of about growing Tuple. Like it's, I like recording the podcast because it's fun. I enjoy talking to Derek. It's fun to give updates. It helps the business, but it's really not the only goal of the, the pod. Like the podcast started before Tuple existed and it mm-hmm. will likely continue after. If, if I left Tuple, I think I would still be podcasting. Do you think it's a good thing for other like two or three bootstrappers talking about their journey? Do you think it's overdone now? Do you encourage <laughs> more people to do it? I don't know that I would say it's overdone. I think there's more have popped up in the last year or two. I think you could support a lot of these shows with the listener base that's out there that is possibly interested in starting companies someday uh-huh. or, or has their own companies. I don't think they're all great. Are you good at improving on, on the mic? Are you doing interesting things? Is your business working or failing in an interesting way, at least? The barrier to entry is very low. It's easy to start a podcast and try it. I, I would say it's easy to start a podcast. It's hard to keep podcasting. It's, it's the showing up every week that, for me, actually doesn't feel like work. But if a podcast feels like a slog to you, then it's probably not the right thing to do because a lot of the rewards come when you've been doing it for a long time. Do you see a future for yourself beyond Tuple where where you might be doing something else? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Tuple is super interesting. And the the nice thing about it is that it keeps changing. So like Mm -hmm. I'm more or less a a novelty and, and learning junkie. So as Tuple keeps growing and the challenges change and the team changes, I find it super fascinating. If we happened to plateau and things were the same for too long, I'd probably lose interest and want to go do something else. And also, there just may come a point where some number of years from now, I'm just like tired of thinking about pair programming apps. <laughs> Eventually, I could probably, I'll probably want a, a fresh thing to work on. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. I end every episode on three recommendations. A book you've read, a podcast that you listen to, and an indie hacker or entrepreneur that you've been inspired by or people should follow. Book-wise, especially if you are starting a thing, I think the mom test is unbelievable. Mm. Podcast-wise, I might say Bootstrapped Web. And Indie Hackers, I, I, I got to say Adam Wathen. Mm-hmm. I think he is the most interesting indie hacker out there and a, a person that's great to look at for how do you do this thing really well. Ben, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Buys. As always, all links and references will be in the show notes, along with links to today's sponsor, Fathom, and also to get the extended version of this conversation. That's all from me. See you next week.